This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to share today's guest with you. Since episode one, when I had my good friend Jared Truby on the show, I have been dying to get his counterpart, his business partner, cat and cloud extraordinaire, Chris Baca on the show, and he is here today. Don't worry, guys, we will have a show with the three of us. I can't wait for that day. But until then, I'm so excited for you to have this conversation with Chris. Chris shares all about his experience in coffee. We also dabble in how he's accidentally got involved with motivational speaking and what that means to him, what the characteristics around motivation actually mean. And the coolest part is how he's made motivation and life experience digestible to the person receiving the information. There's no fluff. There's no frills. Chris is the man. And I will link every way that you can get involved and connected with him in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, you're already in Apple Podcast. Pause for a second and give the show a five-star rating and review. Ratings and reviews are huge. And if you are feeling giving during this holiday season, please take 14 seconds out of your day to write a review. It will help the show grow so, so much. I read every single one. They make my heart explode with gratitude. So please, if you want to make my heart explode this holiday season, head on over and give the show a five-star rating and review. Without any more, enjoy the show. So Chris, I had your counterpart, Jared. Jared. On the show. What a beautiful Episode man. number one. First off. Jared. I know. He christened the Get Psyched podcast platform. He's a good guy to christen things, you know? <laughs> he brings that christening level energy. And the goal, I mean, the goal overall is to have both of you guys on the show at the same time. Have that, the three headsets going. That would kind of be the ultimate, I feel like. I think people's heads might explode. It would but just be I'm a different experience. It, yeah. For sure. But I wanted to, A, at least intro listeners to you mm. as more than just... Jared's business partner. The other guy. The other guy. So can you tell us a little about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Chris Baca. I co-own Cat and Cloud with Jared Truby, who you maybe have listened to. The story of that I'm sure we'll unpack on a deeper level, but I've been working in coffee in some sort of capacity since the early 2000s. I was on track to be a history teacher. I was a history major in college and fell into this by happenstance and in addition to being a co-owner of a business and i'll have to get this out of the way like right out in front is like i'm not an entrepreneur everybody wants to say like you're a business owner you're an entrepreneur you're this thing i'm like no no i'm not um i feel like i'm more of a teacher so weaved in with the coffee for the past as long as i can remember i've been really really passionate about sharing what i've learned whatever that happens to be so in a lot of cases Historically, it has been strictly coffee stuff. You know, the coffee journey, the whole coffee industry thing was really new to me when I jumped in. It was this big, mysterious place. And 
this is when you know the internet is really starting to catch steam in the early 2000s and there wasn't a ton of information about things that are really commonplace now right so sharing that was a big part of the journey and then also sharing cultural things which has taken like this really long ramp and now i share more things that i would associate with the things that i've learned revolving around starting a business learning these soft skills that are required to run this organization to create this place where people can come and contribute to this mission and vision along with some of the struggles that come along with having a business partner or working with people to make something great all things that no one ever taught me all things that i wish at some point along the journey of going to school on the track to get these you know certifications that we're yeah. all really searching for these things that i just never learned and when i'm creating what i create whether it's you know writing a blog or making a video whatever whatever the you know the funnel may be I'm always looking back at like, what's something that I wish I would have known mm. X many years ago? So that's a lot of the the teaching that I do now. And that's how that teaching is kind of manifested in my current zone. So, uh, you know, aside from day-to-day -day operations with the business, I write a blog every week. I have a newsletter that's revolved around the idea of you know, sharing your gifts with the world. and I, pause, yes. love your newsletter. Oh, thank you. It's my favorite newsletter to get. I appreciate that a lot. That yeah. means a lot. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the most fun thing that I do. Like for me, it gives me the most joy, that, that time that I carve out in the morning to kind of take these ideas, synthesize them, package them in this neat little thing that goes out and hopefully can help inspire people Really, I hope to inspire people to take action. Take action on mm -hmm. something that maybe they've been thinking about, the, an idea that's kind of, you know, hiding in the back corner of their brain. Something that feels really, really true to them, but for whatever reason, they just haven't gone through the process of trying to turn it into reality or seeing what it would be like if it was a reality, accepting that it maybe could be a reality. And that's why I love writing. That's why I, that's why I do those short little little blurbs. It's perfect because there's so many newsletters that I get that are paragraph upon paragraph upon paragraph, and I'm like, homeboy, oh I don't have time in my day to read all of that. But yours are so succinct, yet so personable that I'm like, Chris is talking to me. Like I just got a text message. You know, is what it feels right. like. Like you're talking to a friend. And that's that's the goal. There's so many ways that you can package something now. And I really think that for people who are trying to reach people, the form factor has to match where people are at. And that's a huge part of education in general. And that's one of the things that I'm I learned a long time ago, but I'm constantly relearning. And that came directly out of coffee really and to kind of tie two worlds together you know when I first jumped into this world of coffee I was really excited about it I want to learn as much as I can and the companies I was working for I you know worked my way up and naturally multiple times in my career the careers in quotation marks you know <laughs> I'd find myself as this educator so I'm this person with a ton of passion and now a ton of knowledge and I'm charged with sharing it to other people so naturally I do it all educators do when they're new is I tell you everything I know <laughs> about this thing that I know a lot about. <laughs> yeah. And I would get to the end of these 
teaching sessions with, you know, espresso or latte art or brewing or whatever. And I would just look at the people who I taught and I could just see them looking at me just glazed over. Like they don't even know what the fuck happened. Right. Because I didn't package anything in the right way. I just, you know, verbal vomit everything I knew. And I thought I was being really energizing. You know, I thought I was being really passionate about it. And I had to realize over time, okay, cool. There's a time and place for certain things, like people's attention spans. You know, they're only in a certain place for so long. Mm -hmm. And that manifests in a weirder way in the digital space to where you you open up an email. You don't want to read a four-paragraph newsletter because that's not a newsletter. That's an article. You know, maybe you post that on LinkedIn or or something. Um, And I think some of the creativity comes from the constraints that you have. Like, I like writing a lot of different stuff. You know, one thing I'd love to do at some point in time is write a book, but an, a newsletter is not a book. Right. So, what was your most recent newsletter blurb about? Um, my most recent newsletter blurb was about the idea of going all in and what can happen when it goes terribly, terribly wrong. And that ties back to my story with coffee as well. So, um, just for a little little background, if we'll rewind just a little bit, this is going to make me sound really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I fell into coffee quite on accident. So I grew up skateboarding. Skateboarding is my first love. It's the thing I love more than anything else. And you know, I told my wife, Jenny, I was like, you know, if I have to pick between you or skateboarding, I'm choosing the skateboard, right? She's like, yeah, I know that. I get it. It's all good. This is what I signed we're, up for. Yeah, you know, we're right out in front with that. <laughs> um, and when I was 21, I had back surgery on my L5-S1, so it's the lowest vertebra in your spine, mm-hmm. and you probably know all this. Um, <laughs> listeners don't, though. So listeners don't. So, yeah, it's that lowest vertebrae in your spine. I had a severely, severely bulged disc, which I tried for six months to a year, everything that I could do to fix it without going under the knife because I didn't want to have surgery, and this was – I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, things are a lot better in 2020 than they were in 2001. Um, so I had surgery and I was just out and I couldn't do anything. And so for a year, I kind of didn't do much. I played video games. People would bring me stuff to my house. I would just kind of chill. And then when I started getting a little more mobile, I could do stuff. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. It's time to get a job. Yeah. And I didn't want to work at the skate shop where I was working because it just felt really painful to be around that culture. Cause I couldn't skate yet. When you can't do it I can't and you're helping other people do it. Yeah. I'm like, no thanks, dude. I'm just going to go home every day. Just super bummed, right. like super depressed, not into it. I got to, I got to distance myself from that. And my friend Matt was like, dude, you come to the coffee shop every day. You drink a bunch of coffee. You hang out there all the time. Why don't you come? Why don't you just come work with us? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'll come, I'll come work, you yeah. know? So I started making coffee in the small town where I grew up and it was like a head over heels thing where I found my updated version or a different version of the energy that I got from skateboarding. I got from coffee and mm-hmm. I f- like fell in love with this idea of espresso. It was really mystical and enchanting and strange and there's something about it being unknown too. Like the new wave of specialty coffee that's happening right now was just barely bubbling. It was budding. Yeah. yeah. It was just this little tiny flower just starting to open up. And I was like, wow, this is really fucking cool. So I basically was like, this is it. 
I'm, this is where I'm I at. Found I'm, I'm going to do this thing, you know, and I discovered there's this whole world of barista competitions and there's all these different, I was like, what barista competition? That doesn't even make any sense. Like, how does that work? <laughs> Which is where Jared and I first met. We met at our first barista competition. Each of you were at the first. Yes. So wow. independently, our first competition, we, you know, he was living in Chico. I, I'm from Modesto in uh, Central Valley in California. And we just signed up for this thing. Never seen the dude before in my life. And we showed up at this place and kind of found each other there in this sea of people who'd been doing this for a while. And, you know, it's one of those things where you notice someone who I think I could be friends with that dude. Also, he's in the same place on the same journey that I am, like really new to this, but with this, you know, unearned confidence and this whole, this whole world opened up. So Shortly after that, I told my mom, hey, like, I'm leaving. I had to do my senior thesis, and I was done with school. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to finish school. I'm going to go to San Francisco and work for this coffee company that's really on the cutting edge of doing this new wave of specialty coffee. And my mom's like, are you fucking insane? Are you kidding? Are you out of your mind? And I was like, well, I I don't know. It just, I might be. (laughs) I, I can't tell you. She's like, you're going to go to school. You're going to be a teacher. Or, you know, she really wanted me to be an architect. Um, she thought I had the brain for it. And I was like, I don't know. This is just really calling my name. So I basically got a job that was at the time my dream job and just literally went as like all in as you could possibly go. And I dropped everything, mm. literally everything. And that's what I was writing that blurb about was what happens when you do that and you don't gut check yourself along the way because I had so many amazing things tied to that experience like a lot of the travel that I got to got to participate in you know we're going to Milan to go to these really huge espresso machine shows I'm like this is fucking awesome right do you want to go to Colombia and help train coffee producers tell them how people use their coffee in the States because there's a huge gap there. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Send me to Columbia. Let's do this. And it was that on repeat. It was trip after trip, experience after experience. And it, on one end, it was really energizing and I had some crazy memories that I wouldn't have otherwise had. But I never stepped back and just checked in on myself. Mm-hmm. So I kind of pulled my head out of the sound, sand like so many years later and I, you know, I hadn't taken care of myself physically. I hadn't skateboarded, even though now I was able to. It was the thing that I love more than anything in the world. My relationships were just fucking terrible, including my relationship with my now wife, who we've been married twice because we got married, divorced, married again. Wow. And that was all. I want to dive into that. That was all from that time. Um, And also my my friendships, like my personal, personal relationships were really, really terrible. And... I definitely benefited from going, you know, 100% into something. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I haven't. You know, it set me on the path to to where we are today. And it's it's kind of one of the things in my personality. I really like to go all in. But I've learned to try to check myself because I probably would have got all of the good stuff with not so much of the terrible stuff if I could have managed 80-20, 70-30, you know, something something like that. And I think there is this really, really toxic culture 
brewing from people who mostly don't know what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to things that you're really engaged in or comes to things that you're really excited about or a passion that you have or something you love like starting a business. And again, I come at this from, I'm speaking from my experience mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, I'm not an expert in, in, you know, I don't have a degree in things as it were. Um, but One thesis it, away, man. Uh, you, you know, I'm just, I'm just waxing it here. <laughs> but you hear a lot of things from people who've maybe had something that's successful, maybe not had anything at all. That's like, bro, you got to chase your dreams. And when you chase them, you go all in. You don't think about anything else. And I get where they're coming from. And I think it comes from maybe a good place because I want to inspire people to take action too. But you have to be really careful when you tell someone to go all in. You have to be really careful when you tell someone anything at all, depending on what position you're in. Because if you are in a position of influence, people will listen to you and take what you say very seriously. Right, and without question. Without question. And that's really, really tricky. So that was the expanded version of the last, uh, of the last blurb I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like either we have been this person or we have a friend that they get into like a relationship and then you don't see them anymore. Right. Right. Like they drop the homies, they, they go to work. Right. But otherwise it's like that relationship is everything focuses around it. And it sounds like you found that with your career at one point. hundred percent. And there's usually a bell curve, right? It's like you get your new girlfriend, you hang out with her nonstop. And then slowly you kind of come back to the, the regular world or you have to abruptly because something tragic happens and right. you, you know, have to knock on your friend's door with a six pack and be like, Hey, remember me? Hey, you still want to be friends. <laughs> and I'm really sad now. And, uh, <laughs> now I really need support. And I, I could have given so much more of where I was at. You know, I could have accelerated. I was in the mindset. It's like, oh, what I'm really doing is accelerating my passion, accelerating my career. This is going to get me where I want to go. I wasn't thinking about it that transactionally. But I was like, I could have given so much more where I was at. I mean, I was just kind of burned out and stressed out and on high alert all the time Mm because I didn't take care of myself at all. That was how I found like any semblance of exercise or physical fitness. Was, was that complete abandonment. In, in the middle of that whole situation, I was in the bathroom. I was taking a, I was taking a dump. I was <laughs> dropping a deuce. That's where all the best thinking comes. And I just, I, this was forced the hand. I didn't even have to think. I was just sitting there and I looked down. And I'd always been a super skinny dude. And I looked down and there was this thing on me. There was this thing on my stomach. And it was like big and round and soft and squishy. And it was my belly. And I was like, where the fuck did that come from? What is this thing? It was sounds like, it's like this foreign object. I was like, man, I got to get my shit together. I got to do something for me. So I was going to ask, maybe that was the moment, but you said that there was a point when you pulled your head out of the sand. What was, what triggered that? That's a really great question. I, it was a bunch of small little moments. I mean, one of them was moving here to Santa Cruz. Um, so I was working in San Francisco and starting to build this deeper relationship with Jared, my now business partner. Um, and he's like, dude, you should come, you should come here. I was kind of looking for a change. You know, my job was awesome. I, I thought it was rad. He's like, you should, you should just check it out, see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I was really loved going to work, but I was also super burnt out by everything that was going on around me. Um, this is around the same time that the, that the divorce happened and that came with its own set of whole things. That was probably ground zero for all of this. Like, yeah. And it was just a fucking shit show. So, you know, we're 
my wife and I are both from Modesto. We both grew up in the same town. And at that time, we were we we're thinking about the future, doing things, and my brother approached us about buying this this house. He's like, I'm gonna buy this house. Stuff's pretty cheap right now. You guys wanna go in on it? And we we're just like, Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go in on this house. Seems cool. We don't even need to live there. We'll just it'll just be extra real estate for the future, whatever. Mm. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just you know, I'm still a kid. Probably <laughs> like twenty five or something like that. Who knows? Twenty six. Be like, Yeah, house. I was like, house sounds, sounds cool. House sounds good. We're gonna do this house. So that was in the midst of all this intensity. In the middle of that intensity was when my wife and I split up. She left the house. All of a sudden, with the income that I was making, I couldn't afford to pay for our like my portion of the house mm. while not be living there. Mm-hmm. So I moved to live in the house. So I lived in this house that was in Modesto while I was working in San Francisco and that was challenging because, you know, you open a cafe at six in the morning. Training shift is a little more lax. You roll in at eight or nine, but still you're you're talking this one and a half hour best case scenario. More right. like, you find parking. Right. You find parking. Well. And it's really if you hit it wrong, it's two and a half or three hours. So there was all of this all of this stuff building and the stress was just building along with it and the the coolest thing that ever happened was my brother got his now wife then girlfriend they got pregnant and they needed a place to live together and they were able to take over that whole house and move through into that house and i was like oh my god thank god i can kind of do whatever i want right i had this like a divine intervention yeah i was like holy shit that's crazy so i had this moment of freedom and that was about the time that i came here so when i came here it was a really Landing in Santa Cruz was this big resetting moment for me. I was like, okay, I got a good new job. I have the opportunity to create new friendships. I can kind of stop doing all this weird stuff that I was doing. And I can, I did start to take some time out. I was like, I'm going to go skate. I'm going to draw pictures. I'm going to make useless videos that don't mean anything and just see what happens. And it was really good for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you got that moment to reconstruct, like come back to self and build up what made you Chris. Yeah, it's so huge. I love that. So what what then triggered the event that would allow you and your wife to get married again? Oh, yes. Fourth of July. Oh, fireworks. Fireworks. <laughs> it was it was actually it is such a boring normal story. So we had been at this point in time, I, we were apart for about three years total. Okay. And the way it went down, I, we just didn't really talk to each other that much. I was just like, I don't want to talk to you. She didn't really want to talk to me. It wasn't it wasn't one of those things where like, maybe we'll get back together. It was like, no, nah, we just don't see each other anymore. Right. And we bumped into each other just a couple times on accident. And one random year on the 4th of July, I was hanging out with Jared and a couple other people and she just texted me out of nowhere and she happened to be in santa cruz with a few friends mm-hmm. and she was like we're over here what are you doing and i was like we're over here you can come by if you want it's fine you know at this point we're cordial you know, right. we're not angry or anything and she came by and we hung out for probably 45 minutes maybe max introduced her to the boys kicked it and she went back home and it was i don't think we talked again for four weeks, maybe three, four weeks, something like that. 
And from then on, it was just this kind of slow burn of, hey, I'm over here or I'm coming through to see my parents. Do you want to get coffee? And we got coffee. And we didn't talk about anything, nothing serious at all. It was just, we were basically just friends again. Mm -hmm. Not even dating, you know, just straight friend and it was it was really refreshing to have a friend that you already knew really really well so you can kind of tell yeah. them anything without you don't have to give them the backstory of why yeah. you felt something and you're not worrying about the weird layer of judgment that if i say the wrong thing to someone that i just met are they gonna think i'm just fucking bonkers like what's the line <laughs> I mean, probably. here you know what's the social <laughs> socially acceptable line so it was just a thousand of those small interactions that built back up and you know we had our own relationships in the meantime and simultaneously for each of us we were talking about like man yeah we're dating these people everyone everybody annoys me like i'm just so bummed on everybody like i can't feel like these this dude seems cool and then this happens this girl seems cool and then that happens those these little little things and at the end of the day one of the things that I, I think, at least for me, really connects me to other people is when you see something happen or you witness something and you and that other person, you just look at each other and you're on the same page. Yes. And that is kind of a similar relationship that I have with Jared too, you know, and it obviously manifests itself differently. But since day one, we would see something and just look at each other out of the corner of our eyes and just we can make fun of people in plain sight, you know, in a group of four <laughs> other people and nobody else knows that we're making fun of them. Yeah. And that's a really fun, magical thing. And that's what I have with Jenny. And that's what I couldn't find with anybody else. And that's what she also couldn't find with anybody else. So it was just this slow burn back to her eventually, you know, moving from Modesto to Santa Cruz here. And the rest is history. Yeah. The rest is many histories. <laughs> Would you say that you were more authentic to who you were like the second time you guys started having your little hangouts? We had a better, we both had a better idea of what it meant to be in a relationship. So we're really, really, I don't know. For, well, for me, my example of a relationship was my parents. You know, for mm-hmm. most people, that pr- that's probably what it is. And different people have different expectations. And my expectation of being married was more like, okay, cool. We're in this awesome partnership. This is going to be I, – I love my freedom more than anything. So mm-hmm. I like to explore. I like to do things. I don't like to check in or be checked in. And – her where where she came from her expectations were more of like traditional like we're a family now we do everything together and those things were kind of just fighting with each other like we have to act a certain way now because we're married or this is what married people do which you know three or four years later a couple of things have changed i mean i have a better idea of who i am i have right. a better idea of who i want and the same thing for her And we're also in a place where we're willing to accept each other's quirks outside of this story that we've been told, whether it's by society or our parents or our family about what marriage should be like. Mm -hmm. So I know that's totally nonspecific and like a little bit vague, but just having that power to step back and start from scratch and be like, okay, what do we want our life to look like? Like, what does this mean to you? Like to you, 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 it 
as a as a person like what is because this is weird contractual thing right like you go down to the courthouse you sign the thing you do you the vows you get the like you get the government involved right so even though there's this aspect of it that doesn't seem like it should be official and you know it's maybe the story that's told to us is it should be like love and flowers and like harmony always it's you like you mean it's not like yeah like <laughs> some part of it some part of it has to be official right it, it's like and it it definitely benefited us to have those conversations and now you know it's it's like any other relationship with any other person which it takes ongoing work and that was something that i had a really hard time with the first time around like i was just astonished that it, i was like why is this so hard this should be easy. Like we get along, we're friends. Like, why is this so fucking hard? Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to do all these things. I just, I'm, I'm kind of a dick. If you know, if you know me for a while, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm not the easiest dude to be around. I am generally pretty upfront and direct. And that has been one of the biggest challenges in my relationships with all people, including yeah. this business. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, my default style of communication does not lend itself towards co cooperation. Or collaboration. Or collaboration. Yeah, it people get a little put off by me. And that is very interesting. So what do you do to kind of check yourself? If you notice that, what have you done to kind of combat that? I just, um, and this is where I've learned so much from the business. I keep, I try to keep the goals in front of, whatever ego mania I might have at the time. Like, what is my desired outcome? Like, what are we doing? So if you would have talked to me 10 years ago or so, I would have said like, hey, this is how I do shit. If you don't like it, you can fuck off. This is what we need to do. Um, and that doesn't lend itself too well to coaching. You know, I was the guy that was like, go faster, go harder, go, go gnarlier. Like, you're doing this wrong, do it like this instead. And that feels very natural to me. And I don't mind when people do that to me. Like, I don't mind if people be like, bro, you're fucking this up. Like, do it like this. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, dude, I'm down with that. Um, so it's all this trial and error stuff to where I trained like that for a long time. And I had employees and I communicated like that for a long time. And at some point, I just had to look back and be like, okay, this isn't serving the purpose. Mm -hmm. And what's more important, me being able to communicate in my default style or me being able to lift up everything I need to lift up, me being able to have impact. And that's an interesting thing to navigate right now. You know, everyone's got their Enneagram number on their Instagram profile, right? Everybody knows what their Myers-Briggs is. It's like, there's this like awakening of that. And on one end, I think it's really, really good. But where I see it missing the mark in practicality is like, People will know that, like, oh, I'm a one, you know, and they have no grace for other people. They're like, I need to be communicated to like this. Mm -hmm. I communicate like this. You need to understand me. This is what it is. And I think, I think the understanding is cool, but you have to use that with some level of empathy and, and realize that like, okay, cool. Like all people are a little bit different that's fine. I feel really good communicating like this, but I have, you know, 40 members on staff who don't feel good about that. And right. like, how can I 
mix a little bit of what I've got with a little bit of what they can pick up and have a conversation and really, really move the needle. Because if you're just so selfish and, you know, always trying to do you, always trying to be so authentic that it kills you, you got to look at back and say, you know, what's, what's really the point? Mm -hmm. What are we doing here? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been a big part of, of the journey. And, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I just keep the, I keep the goal in mind and I, I constantly have to check myself and I have Jared as a great outlet because he is someone that I can talk to in a way that feels very natural to me and we can cross process with each other. So if we have something that's super frustrating for one of us come up before a huge meeting, somebody did something that just fucking pisses you off that Mm -hmm. you're just thinking, why the fuck would anybody do this? Like, I just want to tell that person this, that, and the other, I can go to him and I can have that conversation. I can be like, dude, what the fuck's going on? He's like, I know. Right. I'm like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard of. Like, let's just go tell him the fucking beat it, beat it. Get the fuck (laughs) out of here, dude. Like kick rocks, bro. Um, and that is therapeutic because then we can talk through that and then we can take a deep breath and be like, okay, cool. But this person's really cool. Like, what are we going to do to actually fix the problem? Yeah. I think that what you were saying about Myers-Briggs or Enneagrams and all those things, I totally agree with you that the knowledge is power. Like when I started to realize how I digest information, I mean, that's the reason I started a podcast. I'm such an auditory learner mm-hmm. that I was like, I can read a book. And if you ask me right after I read it what it was about, I can tell you. But if you ask me two weeks from now, I'm like, ah, oh, there's like this gist. But if it's a podcast, I'm like, oh, sit down. Yeah. Let me rehearse the last like three hours that I just listened to. Um, but what I think the kind of shadowy side of, of that knowledge is that it comes with like some entitlement or expectation of like, now I know this about myself. Now I know what my love language is and you have to love me like that. Right. And there's such a difference between kind of this entitled expectation and what people really struggle with doing is asking for their needs to be met. And it sounds like you and Jared have a really good checks and balances of like, oh man, there's like this expectation coming through and I kind of just want to tell him to beat it. But it works. It works for us. And even that, you know, that's an evolution because we have our own challenges as, as business partners. And, you know, that's been its own journey too. And to even get to that point to where we can vent, even though we've been really good friends for a decent amount of time, it's just, you're continually unraveling this little ball of yarn anytime you're dealing with other human beings. And it's, it's fascinating for me, you know, someone who kind of fancies himself an educator, Mm -hmm. um, to just kind of dive into that, not from, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I can see within the avenues that I'm activating, I can see what works, like what's giving results for, for me in this business, what's giving results for me in my relationships and just being able to look at myself and be like, cool, what am I doing that's working? What am I doing that's not working? Has mm-hmm. been a really, really powerful thing that I never used to do. And it wasn't so surprising that I didn't have a ton of deep relationships or a ton of friends or a ton of people around me cheering me on or that, you know, people you could call up at three in the morning, no matter what, and be like, dude, I'm like feeling weird. I need help. This, that, and the other. And it's cause I just, I was kind of a dick, you know, I was like, this is what I do. 
Yeah. You don't, you don't want to fuck with it? That's fine. I don't care. So what sparked the desire to want to change that? Um, or recognize it and walk with it differently? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm lonely. I was lonely a lot. And from the jump, like I've always been kind of a daydreamer kid. I remember, I don't know why, I specifically remember this one time in fourth grade, just walking around the playground thinking about things i have these recurring you know fantasies that i would play out where you know i was a fighting aliens or i was like a gundam pilot this big japanese robot thing but i don't know people always annoyed me to be straight up about it like i'm not that interested in most people even though i think people as a whole are really interesting i would be like yeah i don't want to hang out with them because they're just kind of I don't know. They just kind of bug me or they, I don't seem to fit in here. And looking back on it, I, I can't tell if it was me just being completely over everyone that was around me or just, mm-hmm. or if there was that mixed in with some sort of insecurity where I didn't think I would be welcome. Oh. Um, so I spent a lot of time alone when I was a kid and I would just kind of walk around, walk around, walk around, daydream, daydream, daydream. And I never was a huge I was never part of the group. I was never part of that mainstream clique. I'd never had a place where I fit in neatly. I always felt like I was like too nerdy for the cool kids, too cool for the nerdy kids. And it was just a fucking mess. It was like purgatory. Yeah. I was just the forever in between. And I had a really hard time buying in on any level at anything. And that's where coming into like junior high and high school, I feel like skateboarding just kind of saved my life and gave me that all of a sudden there was a group of people that I could totally relate to that Mm -hmm. were in the same zone. And I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Thank God. You know, I have, I have this, this package of friends around me and that was really, really powerful because I'd never felt that before. Yeah. And I struggle with feeling like that again. Um, you mean getting that feeling of like the tribal community right. vibe. The tribal community vibe, The you know, especially at the time, you know, skateboarding in the early to mid 90s was just kind of wild in that. I mean, everybody skates now, you know, skateboarding. It makes me think of the movie mid 90s. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's why there's a, a movie like that because there's this really interesting, weird place in time and I part of me really loved being a part of that counterculture movement you know we were the kids that your friend's mom didn't want you to hang out with like don't go hang out even my mom she's like you can't hang out with these people I'm like I am one of these people like these people you keep talking these are my people this is who (laughs) I'm bringing home and she's like oh man this guy oh that guy oh like I had a you know list of blacklisted friends like don't go to this person's house don't go to that person's house and I was like oh I'm definitely going to those people those are for sure these are are like first stops this is (laughs) is what it's about and so that that was a that was one of the like the greatest little moments because I felt that really intense connection and man what was the question that you asked me i just got on a roll um the moment when man i can't even remember either it's okay that's okay we're here we're just flowing we're gonna tie tie it off i talk a lot which maybe is good (laughs) for a podcast i can't tell um finding finding that connection piece and then losing that connection piece and then searching for where that 
like plugs itself back in again? Like how do I find that community of people? How do, how do I cultivate connections that feel real and meaningful to me? And that was to get back to your actual question. It was thinking about those things got me thinking about how I maneuver through this weird world of multiple interpersonal relationships and mm-hmm. like mostly in the context of business, like starting a business right. is like incredibly, incredibly frustrating and, and stressful because you have a group of people around you who you're really excited about. At the same time, these people are really not your friends. And that was something that, you know, different people have different philosophies on this. My philosophy on this is that your employees are not your friends. It doesn't mean you don't like them. It doesn't mean that you don't see value in them. It doesn't mean that you don't want to help them or or that you aren't trying to get them to the next level or provide opportunity. It's that once you blur the lines between acting as a leader and trying to have those people also be a part of your friend group, you create a situation that is going to let you down. It's not fair. It's not fair to you, a person who is the business owner who honestly needs some distance. And it's not fair to your employees either. Mm-hmm. People who also need distance and you can't lead them as well when you have those blurry lines. And that was really, really, really tricky getting going because going back to skateboarding, you know, all day, every day, you're surrounded by skateboarders, people who you feel like are this like intimate part of your core group. You can say anything, do anything, be anything. Now you're thrust in this professional zone where you have all these people who, you know, one thing that makes it even harder is for me, I mean, it's getting bigger now, but when we started, like the age gap is not that big between people that work for us and myself. So you're like, man, you know, we could maybe be friends. Right, we, we could kick it. We could kick it. We could hang out. And that is like a dangerous thing to navigate. So now I'm spending, you know, eight hours a day with those people, employees, the rest of the day with Jared and our other business partner, Charles, in an effort to get this business going. And there's this huge vacuum in my life of something that I'll call, I don't know, pure joy you know, friends that just don't have any connection to work, a place to exist outside of the professional version of me, a mm-hmm. place where I get to be Chris and not cat to and do that owns cat and cloud. Right. This is Chris. He owns cat and cloud. This is Chris. He owns cat and cloud. Like, yes, I also am a person and I have <laughs> been a person for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. I do other things. And so knowing my patterns, knowing that I easily shut people out, I'm a, super big shit talker and I'm super judgmental. It's all the reasons we're friends. All the reasons we're friends (laughs) has just led me to think about that more and just open up on a, like a little bit more like pop the top off things, you know? Yeah. And it's been kind of cool to see that if you can do that in a way that, you know, makes sense to you, a lot of times it's reciprocated. So in the past, I mean, this is such a new journey for me too. In the past couple of years, I've been able to create some really amazing friendships that come out of ridiculous places. Like my friend Zach, who we met at the dog park talking about God, I don't know what. And (laughs) it, 
spiraled into somehow this conversation about how Santa Cruz is a really interesting place and it's super hard to make friends. And we're like, yeah, that's fucking crazy. And we had this whole conversation about how tricky it was to make friends and almost left the dog park without exchanging information. And we were leaving and we both kind of looked and we're like, we should probably get each other's phone number, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, totally. We're should, on. We, should we be... Did we just become best friends? You know, we're all, we're on, we're in the zone, and that that's a new experience for me. I've never been super outwardly. I don't know what you call it. Um, I've never like connected like that before. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a skill that I'm learning, and it's something that I need to do if I want to bring people into my life because I just don't have this you know on tap friendship through these other social things. I mean, I still skateboard and I have skateboarding friends, but it's, it's a different feeling when you're a certain age and everyone's juggling a family with their work, with the other weird project that they're doing. And it's not like it was, you know, in 95 when it's like, be there at two o'clock and there's 40 people there. Right. That just, uh, that, that was rad, but I have to, I have to fucking let go and realize that that was a place in time, you know, that other younger people are probably now experiencing and, I, I have to move forward. So what was it about skateboarding or the skate culture that you were like, oh, this is home? We're weirdos. I mean, we're the, and again, you know, I don't like to think of anything in terms of straight monoliths and labels, but like, you know, within skateboarding, it's an incredibly diverse group of people. But at the time it was all creatives like these are people who made music, drew, doing weird shit, you know. They're they're like people who create things. Mm-hmm. They were generally a little rowdy and unruly, but knew how to like get down to business. At the end of the day, we're like really driven and motivated individuals, and that kind of fit really well for me with the tag along that there were no rules. Mm. And you know, I played like a little bit of organized sports up through high school. And that was really, really fun. But, and then this is me like offering up a big projection, but people who tended to be in that lane really loved the format of an organized sports brought. The structure. They love the structure of it. And it appeals to a certain group of people, a lot of people. But I was like, man, this is cool. But I just, I like really need to explore. I need to figure out what's going on. Like, I don't like being in the same place all the time. I like to be in different places. All, like all, like two days in a row doing the same thing to me is, is bananas. Like I want to go here and I want to go there and I want to be there and I want to be on this thing. Um, I still have my routine within that, but I, I love to explore. So the idea of going out and this is before there were skate parks everywhere. So we would only skate street. So one day we're going to stay out till two in the morning and skate this car dealership. that has got this weird rail that you just can't skate during the day uh, because this is the time that, you know, no one's there and turns out it's got lights and it's really dope and like exploration. You know, there was no court for us to do our thing. It's like we would spend hours just finding things. Scoping. Yeah. Just going to weird random corners of different towns to kind of like, you have this spot list, like here's a ledge here, here's a thing here. And I thought that was just, that was perfect for me. And I, I just, I loved it. So, I mean, there's so many things, but that no holds barred, like running around with people who were kind of wild. And I kind of loved that people really didn't get it. Like I, 
kind of hate it when shit goes mainstream. Okay. I fucking can't stand it. And I kind of had this moment, a similar moment with coffee, like three or four years ago when you see shit popping up just all over the place and you're like, fucking welcome to the party, dude. I've been doing this shit for like forever, you know? And you look when you see skateboarding going into the Olympics or would have been in the Olympics if it didn't get canceled. Right. We got a few more years now. Got a few more years now. (laughs) Um, It's, it kind of bums me out because I love that feeling of like, oh, that dude's kind of a weirdo. Like they're on some weird shit. Like, I don't know if I, I don't really want to, I don't know if I want to talk to those dudes. And I, I, I dug that. Yeah. And now it's like, eh, you know, skateboarding's everywhere. And there's, there's elements of that culture and there's multiple cultures within that, but yeah, it's not the same. Are there elements of skate culture that you've been able to bring into the business? There are, you know, I try to keep them as separate as possible. That's fair. Um, but there are a few things, this is going to make me sound really cool. There's a few things that we're working <laughs> on now that I actually can't talk about that are heavily incorporating skate oh, culture. So shit. in about a year, there'll be a really cool thing that is going to happen. But I, I make a conscious effort to kind of separate them a lot. And I get these glimpses of getting really excited and I'm like, oh, I got to do something skate because now I have a vehicle to do things. So a couple of years ago, we made boards. Um, we did did a run of boards and we made the boards and it was awesome. And as soon as the boards went on sale, I was like, this is fucking lame. Like, I don't, I don't even like it. Like I didn't even, I wasn't even excited about it when it was done. I just wanted to do it so bad. And then when I did it, I was like, eh, it just doesn't, it didn't feel how I wanted it to feel. Mm. And I think that was, that was one of those moments where it's like, okay, cool. That can just be that. Cat and Cloud can be Cat and Cloud. The worlds don't have to collide too much, and that's totally okay because they're feeding different parts of me, and that's fine. I mean, we're complex people, and I'm cool with that, even though I really wanted to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of pays homage to the idea of falling in love with the process of something. I was having this conversation with one of my buddies the other night, and he was like, there is nothing at least in his experience, he's like, there was nothing more empty feeling than when I finished my master's. Oh. And I was like, huh, now what? Those moments are crazy. The day we opened this place, uh, we're sitting in our original location for everybody listening. So the day that we opened, crushed it. It was a great day. So many people came through. It was a lot of energy. And I was... I was looking forward to being just pumped out of my mind. You know, we'd been building, we'd been talking about this for, since Jared and I met, you know, like just as an idea, doing something together. And then we'd been actually building towards it for, for a couple years now. And I went home and I was in the bathroom. I like took my shirt off and I was going to take a shower and I was just staring in the mirror And I didn't realize it until minutes later that I'd just been staring in the mirror for probably five minutes straight. And my wife was like, what are you doing in there? (laughs) And I was like, I think something's wrong. Like, something's not right. And she asked what was going on. I was like, I just don't feel the way I thought I was going to feel. It doesn't feel like I accomplished something. Today's supposed to be opening day and I'm, I'm supposed to feel really, really charged up. And I just don't I feel like I did this morning when I got up and that was a really weird moment for me and I think I was 
pretty bummed for the next few weeks after that. And it has been that journey of really, like you're saying, engaging with the process because that's where the magic is. You know, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to think of a business or something that you're really invested in as this, this finite thing. But this, we kind of have to play an infinite game on it in the same way that we have to kind of play an infinite game in our lives and that there's no point in time to where you're going to be like, cool, I'm done being Lindsay. I have reached the peak. Yeah, like I've peaked. I'm good. We're good here. <laughs> I feel like I can just kind of tap this thing out and call it a day. And that was a cool little a little mental shift for me to where now when I can, when I know that I'm probably not going to have that feeling or I don't necessarily need to be looking forward to that feeling. I don't have to look forward to finishing things. I get to look forward to doing things really well. I get to look forward to like being deeply involved in whatever I'm in. And that's the thing that gets me the most excited. And my love for the business has grown and grown and grown every year as two things happen. One, like the gap closes between the vision that you see in your mind and what's happening in reality, which was super stressful to deal with at first. Because if you got an idea about how something should go and you're brand new at it, it's not going to work how you think it's going to work. You know, <laughs> that, Even if you're not brand new at it. Right? Like we had this idea of what it was going to be straight away. We have a very clear picture in our head. And to not have that be real really bothered me. And to not have that be real because, like, we just don't have the skills. Like, we have a lot of skills. You know, we have one or two skill sets that are super, super deep, but there's so much of this that's new to us. And that was really hard for me to swallow because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Um, And the second part of that is, like, the more I put into it, the more I get out of it. It's like any other relationship. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, you might have that little tiny honeymoon period, but the more you get to know people, the more interesting they are. You know, the, the deeper you build your relationship, the more fruitful that relationship can be. And that's what I'm experiencing here, which is nice. Cause I was fucking kind of stressed out for a while. I was like, is this even for me? Like, do I even want to be here? It's not making me feel like how I thought it was going to feel. And yeah, that, that was, that was, that was tough. Yeah, I think that that happens to a lot of people. We have like Brene Brown talks about like the expectation hangover. You build something up to be this beautiful, glorious thing. And then if it's anything but that, you're left kind of bummed. Yep. And I something that I heard, I didn't hear. I was talking to my therapist about it and it totally rattled me. Um, we were talking about the difference of love and in love. And I've always had this perception, maybe it's a Hollywood perception. It's like, yeah, like you find the one and you're in love and it's beautiful. Or how many people that you're like, yeah, I love you, but like, I'm not in love with you. And this has kind of got to like fizzle out. And uh, she was like, no, no, like anyone can be in love. And I was like kind of floored by it. She's like, being in love with something is sexy and it's alluring. And like, that's the honeymoon phase. She's like, but to love someone, like love their shadows, love their good days, love their bad days and anything in between, like that's the love of the process. That's the love of a person or, or anything like that. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) So you mean to tell me (laughs) I've been fed a lie? (laughs) I know. And it's really, it's really, really tricky, especially when you see, going back to what we talked about earlier, people talking about how awesome their business is all the time. 
And I don't think that's a fine line too. You know, it's hard for me to sit up here and say that my business isn't awesome. It definitely is. But if someone's thinking about starting something, just think about everything else you've started. You know, check that expectation and know that, you know, parts of it are going to suck. Parts of it are going to make you cry. Parts of it are going to make you scream. Parts of it are going to make you want to quit. It's not unlike most other things that we've done. I mean, fuck, I love skateboarding more than anything. What's a day of skateboarding look like? Well, you spend most of your time on the ground trying <laughs> something you've never done before, and you're psyched if you land that once in the day. Right. Like, that's hype, you know, and you go home with bruises scraped up, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that all again tomorrow. Like, did I love every single moment of it? Not really. Right, but, but that one moment. But at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that again tomorrow. And that's that's how business is. And, you know, it's like the it's like the supermarket checkout line. I don't know if you've heard Seth Godin talk about the supermarket checkout line and, I don't and think so. it's kind of like this uh the cost of switching. You know, you go in line at the supermarket and you kind of scan to see is there a shorter line mm-hmm. happening? Can I switch lines? And like you switch once. You know, but once you switch, you kinda gotta ride that out. Right. You ride it out all the way. If you switch and then you switch again and then you switch again and then you switch again, it's gonna take way longer. It, you're not going to get through there with any speed. And that's kind of the attitude that you need to have when you're diving into projects. It's like, yeah, you can pivot and you can switch, but if you constantly find yourself starting, starting, starting and not committing, you kind of got to ask yourself. And I asked myself these questions and they were really hard for me to answer, but I think it's cool to give yourself the opportunity of letting go. So in the moments where cat and cloud is just the most frustrating thing to me, be like, okay, let's say, what if I wasn't here? You know, what would I do? Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I went around with it. Or what if I started a brand new business? What would it be? And, you know, you go down this vision scope again, and then you have to ask yourself the, the harder follow-up question, which is, what makes you think it will be any different than what you're doing right now? Like yeah. you're the same person, you have the same tools. What's going to make this new thing better than what you already have? And those questions are like, okay, cool. Help me to clarify like, yes, this is where I need to be putting my energy. This, this is rad and it's okay. I can have those moments where I stare in the mirror and have this crisis of conscience every once in a while and, be like, yeah, that was a weird ass day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and have and it be fine. I think that's something that I talk about a lot with goal setting with anybody is there's so much power in going back to the drawing board. Cause you can look like you can set a goal and that's great. I think it keeps a ton of people purpose driven and motivated. Um, but sometimes we get so stuck in this future space and that's when we start chasing the carrot of like, once I get this, I'll feel good. Once I get this, I'll feel whole. And meanwhile, we're missing, like we have no ability to be mindful because we're not even in now. We're not in today. We're in weeks, months, years from now. And when you offer up the invitation to tell someone like, is that even still what you want? Are your values and actions aligning or are you just chasing something because when you set out in the beginning, that's what it looks like? Right. And what kind of processes have you put in place that you kind of like give yourself the permission or grant yourself the space to be like, 
all right, is it time to pivot or do I stick with what this looks like today, right now? Yeah. And uh, the ability to just have that conversation, so much power in it because it's, you know, Julia who owns, she's a great friend of mine and she owns Dune Coffee down in Santa Barbara, but she's just been like this huge champion in my life who, you know, I don't really believe in the idea of a muse, but if I had one, it would be her, you know? Um, and she is a person that I can process all of those, all of those feelings with and have the conversations that I can't have with anybody else and then be able to be like, cool, that was like a really good exercise. Good talk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she, she totally gets it. And I, I don't know. I, the ability to speak on that and just to have those things is also kind of new for me. Mm. Um, because the way that I was brought up plus my perfectionist tendencies lend me to like, I never want to show when I'm making a mistake. Like you got to be perfect or not go at all. Never show vulnerability in any way, shape or form. And it manifests itself in like ridiculous ways. Like when Jenny and I were getting divorced, I didn't tell anybody, literally no one. Nobody knew. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my brother. Wow. I didn't really have a ton of friends at the time because I was in this weird zone. No one. I came to work one day and I must have been looking just like complete garbage. This is when I was in San Francisco. And this dude, Pele, was like, he pulled me aside like halfway through the shift. And he's like, man, what's up with you? And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, dude, what's going on? I was like, no, nah, then I'm just... I don't know. I'm just having like a weird day and he's all bullshit. You've been like a sack of shit for, you know, for weeks. What's happening? And I was like, I'm kind of getting divorced right now. And he was the first person I told. And, you know, I'd known him for a, a while at that point and we were friends for sure, but it wasn't, you know, the good homie. Like right. It, and it was kind of weird. So that was the first person that I ever told that to. And then was still selective about, telling people when things like that came up and that manifested itself in like all different areas of my life. When I feel like I maybe have failed at something, my natural inclination is to keep that a secret. Um, and same thing with the business, same thing with any other project I take on. So the ability to, to be able to have those conversations, it's kind of cool, but it hasn't been super easy for me. And Julia's no. Julia's another person who just, she fucking keeps it so real with me like after i left the company i was working for and before we started this company i started another company that was just the worst thing ever and <laughs> was with some you know some different different people and julia was like hey you know i just wanted to check in and say that the way you've been acting lately is just not the chris i know and it seems like you're really bummed out and kind of taking it out on everybody around you and are definitely not shining in the way that you need to shine. And I was like, damn props. And, and, Julia. It, dude, and it hurt for 15 seconds. And then when she said that, I was like, dude, I'm so glad you said that. Cause I'd been feeling that way for months, but I just didn't feel like I could tell anybody about it. And that's a, that's a big, that's a big thing that I have. So all of these little quirky stories, they're not new or interesting. You know, there's nothing incredibly special about me experiencing these emotions. These are things that other people feel all the time. 
And that's exactly why I write what I do and, you know, create the things that I create is that in those moments, somebody who I could relate to said something that I like really needed to hear. And it made me feel like, oh, cool. I can get down with that. I can, I can blast through that. And that's my hope with all the things that I write is that it can reach the right person at the right time and it'll help push them through whatever it is. And it's not all heavy, you know, emotionally driven stuff. Some of it is very action-based. Some of it is super, super practical. Some of it is skill-based. But it's all that thing, like being able to hear what you need from somebody you can relate to. Because I couldn't for a long time. So I'm just trying to help out a little bit. I love that. And the part about it I love the most is like there's so many self-help books out there. Like there are so many people telling you how to be happy or whatever the message may be and they've never shared a failure or they've never, you know, anyone that I, that gives advice that is somehow on their perfect pedestal, I'm like, liar. Liar. And and it's really hard to relate to. to Yeah. Even... Even if I want to. Even if I want to. And even some people that are, I think doing good things are really, really hard to relate to. Like I've never gotten pumped up by that motivational speaker, high energy type thing. I look at that shit. I'm like, that's fucking corny. This person's obviously lying. Even if they're not, you know, it just doesn't resonate with me. And I, I don't have anything figured out except for what I have figured out. And that's what everything's based around. Like all I know is the journey and all I know is here, here are some things that could maybe help yours out and i i approach it deliberately from that point is like i'm not an expert on a lot of this stuff if you take something that's very tangible like let's talk about coffee sure i can 100 percent stand up and be like i am an expert on coffee and i've got the credentials and all the you know competition wins and whatever you want to put in there to back it up i feel very comfortable speaking from an expert's point of view but the other stuff, it's more, it's more relational. You know, I, I met someone who was, um, works in the skate industry. He works for DC, the shoe company. He's the, he's our, might've heard about it. Might've heard about him. He sent something or posted, reposted one of my things. And turns out he's their head of global marketing. And we started chatting and he's like, yeah, it was like kind of cool for me to find this, you know, like motivational speaker person that I could relate to. And I was like, just started laughing. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, you think I'm a motivational speaker? That's pretty funny. That's not really my intention, but if you're hyped, that's so rad. Like, so, so cool. And I, you know, it's not for everybody. And that's, uh, that's the, that's the beauty of it. And that's how I feel, or that's why I feel a little sketched when I see all those people like you're talking about where everything's so picture perfect drama free it makes me feel like they're trying to create something an image that can't be real and also create it for everybody i think mm-hmm. making something for everybody is just a huge huge like misstep if you're trying to create it's change. not it's not going to resonate with everyone it just doesn't period. make sense yeah and, and that might resonate with some people and if that fires you up rad. all good yeah like the people it doesn't fire up are most likely going to get fired up by like the real authentic stuff that you're putting out yeah. Or just, yeah. It's like, it's so, man, you really have to know 
and we've seen this here at Cat and Cloud, like, or just in all the projects I've done, you really have to know what your desired outcome is. Because there are certain times when what you might think of as like true authenticity isn't really the way to go. Um, case in point could be some of the stuff we talked about earlier when an employee does something that feels just so off the wall that your authentic response would be, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. in that moment, authenticity does you no good. In that moment, you have to step back from authenticity and try to be, you know, what I would consider a professional. I'd be like, what would a professional do? Not what would an authentic person do? Because the professional is the one who's going to get that person to the next level. The professional is the one who's going to help help change that whole system and hopefully leave that person better off. So authenticity is this like, like double edged sword. It, it can help us relate to other people, but taken too far, it can just be sloppy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it, it manifests in the way we show up to work. It's something we talk about a lot. Um, because one of our values as a company, we have a set of values that we, that we live by. And one of those is we work together with empathy and intentionality. And it's really interesting to unpack the empathy part of that because most people think empathy and be like, oh, cool. You like, you're going to understand where I'm coming from. And it's like, yes, we want to understand where you're coming from. Also, you have to understand where her, where we're coming from. There needs to be a values fit and a cultural alignment, but also you have to have this, what we call 360 degree empathy, which is just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean that you get to come on the floor and negatively affect the energy of everybody else in the building, including the guest that's coming in. It's okay to claim that you're having a bad day. So what we'll have people do is like, you can totally come to work and be, pull your team leader or your coordinator side and be like, Hey, guess what, Lindsay? I'm just having a really shitty day. Like this is going Full on. Disclosure. That's going on. I'm like super fucking bummed. And it sometimes helps to just be able to speak those things and not mm-hmm. have to hold them in, like get them off your chest because in not a lot of workplaces. It's not even cool to say that. Yeah. So we can take that. We can hear you and, you know, depending on what's going on, figure something out. But once you, once you spill that out, once you decide to punch the clock and get on the floor, it doesn't really matter what kind of a day you're having. You have to perform just like everybody else has to perform because we have a standard. And we take that very seriously as bosses ourselves. Like there are days that I don't want to go to work. There are days that I'm having a bad day. It might be a day that I have a one-on-one a group meeting, and then an ownership meeting. I can't just call it in because I'm not feeling good. Like that's mm-hmm. not how our version of empathy works. That's not being empathetic to everybody else around me. And it's not being a professional. It's just sloppy and lazy. And I think there is this gap between you know, being able to process feelings and see where other people are at and also still be able to hold this line of like, we are here to do a job and that job is getting done. And that job at the end of the day affects so many people. And that's why I'm so passionate about the business that we're in. You know, one of the stories we tell in orientation is like, we work at a coffee shop. Cool. Seems pretty mundane. People come in and get coffee. I think it's really fucking cool that people wake up in the morning, you know, they get dressed, they take a shower and then they go out and on their way to work, they get coffee, which gives us this magical time for, for most people, 
the person at the coffee shop is the first human interaction they've had with someone outside their family. You have the opportunity to set the tone that's going to shape the rest of their day. That 30-second to three-minute interaction can be incredibly powerful. And we've all felt that if you've been in a place that feels a little mundane and we had this really amazing guest service experience that just boosts mm-hmm. us being able to connect with someone straight away that throws energy into our day. I think that is fantastic. And when that suffers because people are just feeling like, I don't really want to do it. It's like, you know, at that point for me, it's bigger than the company. It's like everybody that comes through this building, like I, I, I want to set them up for that awesome day. Like every day. And that's fucking real. And that's why I love the coffee shop. So at some point you have to be like, Hey, we have a job to do. And I'm right. like, it's, it's, it's a great privilege to be able to, to connect with people. You're in the coffee shop. People let you into their lives. People, you know, can build these relationships. Like everything that I've had that has you know, outside of skateboarding, like all of the cool opportunities that I've had are because of my time in the coffee industry. And I want to pay that forward. And I also want to let people know that if you take it seriously, if you put it in, if you love the job, like obviously it's not a job for everybody, but if you really love it, it can open more doors than you think is, is possible. It's bananas. It it just doesn't even make sense. Back to some of those stories we were telling earlier. You know, someone's calling me. I'm 20-something years old, and they're like, we're doing this this conference. It's called Let's Talk Coffee. The, the key to the conference is it brings together the three people in the supply chain. It brings together the coffee producers, coffee roasters, and baristas. There's a huge disconnect mm-hmm. between coffee producers and what happens in the bar. They in don't, the a lot of them don't know, you know, they, they harvest this coffee, they send it to the mill and then it just dis- disappears. They don't have this point of connection. The point of connection has value because if both parties understand the challenges of the other, we can work together to, you know, hopefully improve quality on their end, which will imp- like allow us to pay more for coffee because we can then charge more for coffee and it helps the whole ecosystem bridge the whole gap and have someone reach out and be like, we want you along with a group of two other people in the world to represent the barista portion. And you're going to come talk on a headset like this. And we have translators in the room and you're going to talk about what happens in the States with coffee. And you're going to teach these people how to make coffee. And the only reason that those things happen is because I just showed up every day trying to do my best for the people around me. There's no grand plan. You know, I was definitely in love and saw it as a career, but it's like, just a regular ass guy who just happens to be doing the work and taking it really seriously. And it totally worked. And I like, I love that. I love that. It's just, it it can take these little mundane things, you know, cause most of our jobs are on repeat. We kind of do the same thing every Mm -hmm. day, different version of the same thing. We talk about this in orientation. Like, yeah. And in its essence, it's like you shove, coffee into a little tube and fill it with hot brown water and serve it to people. It's like, you know, that action, <laughs> Super sexy. that action doesn't change every day. Like we have to do that every day. It's, it's how you do it. What you see is the impact of doing that. It's going to color how you're able to show up. So I always, every day I always had that 
that thing in the back of my mind that's like, you know, this is my opportunity to help shape someone's day. Also, once you get good enough at something, then people have an expectation and you don't want to let them down. And I love that shit. Yeah. And it, and it spurs into, you know, it changed my fucking life. Like I didn't finish school. I'm just here. (laughs) I, for what it's worth, and I know I'm only one human, but I first met you and Jared at the last coffee shop that you guys worked for. Yeah. And then obviously followed to Cat and Cloud. But I left Santa Cruz for a while and worked in San Francisco. And I was very disenchanted with everything about San Francisco, which probably helped fuel my my feelings about this coffee shop. But I would walk in and I tried to hit different coffee shops on the way to work every day because I was like, I'm new to the city. I got to find a good cup of coffee. And like one place had good coffee, shitty vibe. Like other place, shitty vibe, shitty coffee didn't go back there again, you know, but I remember calling one of my friends one time and they were like, how is San Francisco? Are you loving it? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, why? Like, give me an example. And the only example I could think of was the coffee shops. And I was like, you know, I walk into the coffee shop every day. Everyone's looking at their phones. Nobody's talking to each other. In Santa Cruz, I know my barista's name. Hell, I know six barista's names at the same shop. And they all say hi to me. And I was like, and I just miss that. And she was like, Lindsay, your Santa Cruz is showing right now. But it's like, no, no, exactly what you're saying. Like you have that opportunity someone's morning to sculpt the rest of their day. Yeah. And I missed that so much. And everybody, it's nice to have a home base, right? Maybe it's not the coffee shop for, for everybody. Maybe, maybe it's the wine bar. But a place that's got that kind of however they set up the vibe, it feels like what you think of when you think of cheers, you know, that place, like this is my spot, you know, it feels good to have your spot, a place where you, where you fit in, where people know you, where you can just do you and you get energy from that, you know, and that is, that is the magic and that is the opportunity of the service industry. And when, when people get it right, man, so many doors can open and you can have so much impact. And when people get it wrong, I don't think it's because the right people aren't in play. Sometimes it is, but I think it's the setting the tone, like setting the atmosphere, connecting the dots between experiences people have had and the experience that you can help create. And this is an exercise that we do in orientation. And it's it's the most fun, it's the most thing fun thing for me <laughs> ever. Cause so our, our mission is to inspire connection by creating memorable experiences. So we ask people in orientation, what's a memorable experience that you've had? Doesn't have to be around coffee, doesn't have to be around work, just something that made you feel amazing. And at the last orientation, one of the one of the dudes that came through, he's this kid who's really into cars. He loves cars so much. And he was like, Yeah, I was in high school and there was this really there's this car company called Pagani. They make these handmade in you know, one point two million dollar automobiles. And they're gaining infinitely more popularity now, but at some point in time they're a really small company, mm-hmm. super boutique. And he just thought they were the coolest shit ever. He somehow figured out, you know, the CEO's email. He emailed the the CEO. And he's like, two days later, the CEO wrote me back and he sent me this note saying like, I think it's really awesome that you're really into the cars. I can't wait to see where your journey takes you. 
And in that moment, he just felt like incredibly seen, incredibly powerful. Like the company that I look up to the most, the dude who runs that just took three minutes out of his day to send me three or four lines of email. He's like, that, that just like gave me so much energy. And I'm like, yes, totally. That's a perfect story. And like that energy that you got from that, that is the energy that we're trying to capture and create within other people. And that's the energy that shapes how you do your work. You know, we all, we, everybody at every coffee shop does the same job. And when, when people nail it, they know why they're doing it. They know what they're doing it for. And they're, they're envisioning something bigger. And as leaders and bosses and people of influence or whatever, like, I think we have a a pretty huge responsibility to tap into the potential that all people have. You know, people always ask us, how do you get really awesome employees? And I'm like, dude, awesome people are out there. There's fucking people that are awesome all over the place that aren't being shown anything, that aren't being given a chance, that aren't being given a look. They're not being inspired, first of all. You know, think of all the jobs that you've had. If I think of the jobs like going way back, it's like, oh, cool, like you work here, hey, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. Like have fun, clock out for your break at 1230 and then do it again, you know. Uh, stack up all the all the boxes, do the things like that's the world that that we live in. But we have the opportunity to change all that if if we can paint that picture, give them something to sink their teeth into. Like I don't think work has to be transactional at all. I think it can be really amazing. I, I had this huge argument with this person who works in the in the construction industry who says impossible for him to find people, and I was adamant that he was incredibly wrong. I basically told him that the reason he couldn't find awesome people or the reason that his people weren't doing awesome work for him had more to do with him than the people that he was hiring. And in that moment, I wasn't incredibly gracious, but the conversation built to this point to where I just <laughs> kind of, I just kind of popped my top, but I, the, the people are out there. And I understand why people don't put in the time. Like being a business owner, I get it. Running a business is incredibly challenging. It's incredibly taxing. A lot of the work that you do, people will never see. There's so much that goes on behind the curtain that I get that some people are just tired, that it Mm -hmm. feels really extra to want to go the extra mile. But I I think we have a responsibility. And I think to one, look at yourself and be like, okay, what am I really trying to accomplish here? Am I am I trying to change something? Am I trying to make something better? Or am I simply trading, you know, money for goods? And yeah. if and if you want to trade money for goods, that's fine. But you need to have an expectation of what kind of people are going to be attracted to the idea of trading money for goods. And it's going to be people that just don't give a fuck. And you're going to have a lot of turnover and your work's probably not going to be very fun. It's going to be frustrating. You're going to have a lot to manage on the back end. And that's cool if that's cool with you. I don't want to trade money for goods. Like I, I want people to come in and have the work experience that I never had, which is to come in somewhere, to work for someone who cares deeply about what they're doing, be inspired to do really good work for them, and in the process, be learning all of the things that no one ever taught to me. Mm-hmm. You know, We come out of a huge history in coffee, Jared and I, and realize that yeah, I'm 100% an expert on coffee. I don't know how to give critical feedback to someone and feel good about it. I don't really know how to have 
complex, tricky conversations in the workplace. I don't know how to approach all of these things that don't go along with just running a business, but going along with being a human and living life, things that aren't being taught in school, things that aren't being taught by anyone. And we have this opportunity to do that through our businesses. So I'm kind of like, people, you got to step up here. You know, if, if you are starting an organization, if you have the desire to work with people, it's on you to deliver that vision, deliver that inspiration and deliver in a way that people can pick up on it. And I guarantee you, you will find the people that you think don't exist because they are out there. And I don't want to hear this millennial excuse (laughs) bullshit. Like all these things are excuses. They're excuses by people who are in positions of power who simply don't want to do the work. And that's unacceptable to me. I think that is a beautiful place (laughs) to wrap it up. But if people want to experience the magic that is Cat and Cloud, where do they find it? And if they want to get their hands on your newsletter, get connected with you, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, I am very easy to find. RealChrisBaca.com is where the blog lives. That's where you can sign up for the newsletter on social at RealChrisBaca on all of the all of the usual places, Instagram, YouTube. I kind of craft some of my vlogs or some of my blogs into little videos. So you can find those. Cat and Cloud's also super easy. Catandcloud.com. Yeah, it'd be cool to to see everybody in the digital space. Hell yeah. Hey, thanks for the conversation. Thanks, Chris. Hell yeah. (laughs) 